chapter 2 today, about through that first chapter. We're in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at the first eight verses today of Philippians chapter 2. As you continue to study this prison epistle of the Apostle Paul, if you would please stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. that same lesson 
It's right here in the text today. You know, as Paul's riding back to this church at Philippi, he tells us that there's a lot of wonderful things about this church. There really are some wonderful things about the church. He's ready, he's ready to talk to us in chapter 1 about their partnership in the gospel, that these people were not afraid to get involved in ministry. He thanked God for their partnership in the gospel. Later on in the book, he thanks God that they give to his missionary efforts. They're a giving church. They're a, they're a loving church. They really take missions seriously. He even calls them his glory and his joy. How about that? It's a great adjective to describe the church. But this church was nowhere near from perfect. As we zoom in and as we examine even this text today, Paul brings up some issues, some imperfections that need to be dealt with in the church. Now, it seems on the exterior, things were fine. Their partnership was fine. Their mission efforts were fine. The problem existed on the interior. It existed in the home. You see, Paul tells us in this text and some other parts of this book that there was a problem of unity in the church. There were different divisions in the church. There were people arguing against other people within the church. In fact, if you look later in the book, Paul admonishes two ladies in the church. He, he tells them that they need to agree with each other in the Lord. But it seems that, yes, even the church of Philippi was not a perfect church. They were indeed belittling each other, attacking each other. They were making a sorry spectacle to the world. And you know what they were doing in the process? They were weakening the testimony because of their lack of unity. Well, Paul, he was the father of faith. He learns about what's going on, this lack of unity within the church. He learns about what's going on, and he writes to them in a very encouraging way to address the issue of unity in the church. And here's what he's teaching them. He teaches, excuse me, he teaches them that unity in the church is only going to come one way, and that's through humility. Unity in the church is going to come through humility. Now, the way that Paul addresses this is going to be our outline today. As most of you know, in college, I was a math major. We're going to use some numbers today. Are you ready? Four parts of the sermon. You ready? The first part is four motivations, three graces, two natures, one example. Four, three, two, one. Four motivations, three graces, two natures. One example. I told Jerry this outline yesterday. I was all proud of myself. Because it went 4, 3, 2, 1. I said, Jerry, just look at this. They're going to they're like this. Everyone's going to understand 4, 3, 2, 1. I said, how does that sound to you? She stepped back and she said, that sounds like a 10-point sermon to me. <laughs> Hard as I tried, it turned into a 10-point sermon. It's not going to be... Ten full points, ten small points together, four, three, two, one. You ready? Let's go. Four, three, two, one. How does Paul teach us unity through humility? The first one, four motivations, all four found in verse one. Read it with me. Here's what the text says. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, beloved, right there you have 
for motivation. But the Apostle Paul starts out by saying, if, you see that? It's the second part of the text, if. I want to point out something about that word, if, before we go forward. You know, in the English language, if we use the word if, it, it, it expresses uncertainty. We don't know if something's going to happen. So we say, if something happens, wondering if, if it might happen or it might not happen. But in Greek, it can be used to say the obvious. For instance, if the grass is green, I'm going to preach a sermon today. Obviously, everyone knows the grass is green, right? It's saying because the grass is green, basically. Or if the sky is blue, we're going to eat lunch today. Well, everyone knows the sky is blue. It expresses certainty, not uncertainty. That's the way, that's the language behind this text right here. So instead of using the word if, a better word might be since or because. You can say it this way, verse 2. So because there is encouragement in Christ, because there is comfort from his love. So knowing that, let's look at the first of the four motivations. Paul says the first motivation is this. We have what? Encouragement in Christ. What should motivate you and me to find unity through humility? Number one, our encouragement in Christ. That you know in your salvation, in my salvation, that God himself, through the Holy Spirit, has united you and me to Jesus Christ through faith. We're united to his life work. But let's remember something about that. You see, it wasn't always that way. Before we knew Jesus, we were in enmity with God. There was a gap in our relationship with God, this, this huge gap where we weren't reconciled to God. But God sent Jesus to this world to reconcile you and me to God. That that gap would be closed, that we could have a relationship, not only a relationship, but we could be united to Christ. And now because of the work that Christ has done between God and man, that's an encouragement for you to have good relationships with other people. Do you see that? Be encouraged about your union with Christ because God has united himself to you and got rid of that sin issue in your relationship with him. That's now an encouragement for you to have better relationships with other people. What the Bible is teaching you is that your vertical relationship, you and God, the horizontal relationship between you and other people. Think about what Jesus has done for you. Think about how Jesus pursued you to have a union. And now we can follow Christ's example as we have a union with other people. Our vertical drive, the horizontal. But secondly, the second motivation, what does it say? Comfort from love. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, Beloved, every one of us has experienced the love of God. We understand what Paul meant in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, when he says that God has demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we're sinners, Christ died for us. We understand 1 John, when John says, in this is love, not that we love God, but what? He loved us and gave himself up as a propitiation for our sins now. Just as God has loved you, just as God has loved you, you go love each other. Do you see it? Your vertical relationship drives your horizontal relationship. 
just as there is encouragement from being united to Christ, there is also comfort from his love. Thirdly, the third motivation would be fellowship with the Spirit. Any participation in the Spirit, that's what Paul says in this text. First Corinthians, Paul says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God actually dwells within us. He is our comforter. He is the one who comes alongside of us. Isn't it amazing to have God with you all the time through the third person of the Holy Spirit? This is the way God is acting on your behalf. <coughs> and then fourthly, Paul says tenderness compassion. When we look back at how God has acted towards us in this vertical relationship, how has God acted towards us? He's done that with tenderness and compassion. And he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that. He could have acted towards us with wrath because that's what we deserve. But he chose to act towards us with tenderness and compassion and to give us this, this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that we could be saved. And what Paul is saying here, brother, beloved, is that see these motivations. See how you have encouragement from being united to the life work of Christ. See how you have been comforted by the love of Christ. See how the Holy Spirit, we have fellowship with him. See how God has acted towards you in tenderness and compassion. When you consider those four motivations as you reflect upon what God has done. And now, what I would say, let that drive you to live out three graces. There's three graces that should accompany this, that should flow out of this encouragement from being united to Christ. And here they are, verse 2. Let's read verses, actually 2, 3, and 4. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In each verse, you find grace. The first one from verse 2, the grace of oneness grace of unity, being of one mind, full accord, having the same love. The simple fact throughout Scripture that Satan loves a church that will fight and train, that will fight against it. He loves that because he knows a divided church is a weak church. He knows that if a church is divided on the inside, it's going to have very little impact on the outside. So he encourages oneness of mind. Now, by oneness of mind, I don't think Paul is saying that we have to agree on everything all the time. He's saying that we should have a common attitude, a common orientation, and that comes from being in Christ. That means we should have the same love for God. We should have the same love for each other. The issues that Paul's dealing with here, 
They're not issues of theology or doctrine. They're issues of preference. You see, if this was an issue of theology or doctrine, Paul would make sure to stand his ground because he did. Remember Revelation, there was an issue of theology and doctrine. And Paul took painful ground and he stood firm in the Judaizers who were trying to change the gospel of Christ. And he even made some statements that if anyone preaches another gospel other than the one I preached to you, he should be eternally condemned. But that's not what he's talking about here. You see, right here he's talking about issues of preference. And Paul is teaching us that it's not a sign of weakness to defer to others on issues of preference. You see, sometimes we get so wrapped up in what we want to do or what we think, we hold that so close to our eyes that we lose sight of how it might be affecting other people. And Paul says that it is not a sign of weakness, but a sign of spiritual maturity to actually defer to other people on issues of preference. Here's some of the things he said throughout Scripture. In Romans 14, he says it this way. Let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. He says in Ephesians, be diligent to preserve the unity and bond of peace. Verbs like pursue, be diligent. In other words, he's telling us as a church, it's going to take effort. Many times for us to get off our own preferences for the benefit of the whole group. But that's going to be a sign of spiritual maturity. Have you ever heard of churches splitting for some ridiculous reasons? I've heard of churches splitting because they couldn't agree on what color the carpet was going to be. I've heard of churches splitting because they couldn't agree on whether to get an air conditioner or not. Things of preference, things of maybe of personality. And the Bible teaches us in this case, pursue what makes peace for mutual upbuilding. Go for oneness. Strive for oneness. It honors God. Because in God's mind, unity is a very important thing. So first of all, oneness is the first grace. The second one is what? It's humility. Looking at verse 3 again. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let me tell you the story. It was the summer of 1994. I was 17 years old. Played football in high school, so I lived in the weight room. I was six foot one, 195 pounds of solid muscle back then. Glory days, right? We all love to reflect on that. You, you, anyone who had any of those days? You like to reflect on those days? Glory days. Best shape of my life. I look nothing like I look now. That's what you're saying. And I was very involved in my Baptist church. Big Baptist church. We had Bible school one summer. And they put me with the fifth grade boys. And I was working with the fifth grade boys. And it was craft time. And we always got in there. We had, we had done our crafts. And we had some time at the end where we were just hanging out with the boys. And I think I had left the weight room earlier that day. I was feeling pretty good about myself. So I had this idea. I said, I'm going to show these boys how strong I am. I, I've been lifting these weights. And I'm going to show them. So I got this fifth grade kid over there. And I did something like this. I put my arm up like this. 
yesterday, God, even in the midst of this trying circumstance. And he teaches us, yes, even how to live with humility. But the third grace is found in verse 4. It's helpfulness, as the text says. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others. Helpfulness, taking your eyes off of yourself and looking to the interest of others. That's clearly displayed in the story of the Good Samaritan. You know that story? Man's between Jericho and Jerusalem. He's beat up. A priest passes by. A Levite passes by. They see him. They don't help. They're probably more concerned with what they have to do that day than helping this man. Yet a Samaritan passes by and says, I'm going to help this man. I'm going to get down on my hands and knees. Find his wounds. Put him on my horse. Take him over and pay for his stay. I'm going to have mercy on this man. I'm going to look to his interest, not my own. Beloved, you see those four motivations that we talked about a minute ago, that vertical relationship, how God has treated us? They should drive these three graces. These three graces of unity, humility, helpfulness, the way God has treated us. He encourages us to treat others the same way. So we've seen the four motivations. We've seen the three graces. The Bible now goes to the two natures. The two natures of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this text teaches us that Jesus Christ, though he was fully and completely God, he chose Without ceasing to have the nature of God, Jesus became a man. I don't know if you've ever noticed in the Gospels how far the Gospel writers go to show you both the divinity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about a few of these examples. At the tomb of Lazarus, the Bible says that Jesus cried as he wept. Weeping tears show us that Jesus was in agony. But just a few moments later, this same man who was Jesus showed that he was God, didn't he? When he raised Lazarus from the dead. Think about Jesus being hungry and needing food after his 40 days of fasting. It shows that he was a man. But then Jesus took two fishes, five loaves, and broke them up and fed 5,000 people and saw hunger for a multitude. He showed us that he was God. You think about Jesus being thirsty, even on the cross. I thirst. He shows us that he was a man. But then that same Jesus at the wedding in Cana turned water into wine and solved the problem of thirst for everyone there. Now, I want you to see. 
You've been given four motivations because of your burden of relationship. Those four motivations should drive those three graces in your life. See Jesus living out this as God and man, but now finally see Jesus the one example for you to live by. Look at verse 5. He's their example. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, what Jesus had going on in his mind, the way he approached things, the way he approached unity through humility, let that be in your mind. You see, even though Jesus had all power, had all greatness, had all lordship, he was totally sovereign. The Savior gave us a beautiful picture, an example of humility. The night he was betrayed, the Bible says he disrobed himself and girded himself with a towel. He got down on his hands and his feet and he began to wash his disciples' feet. You see, Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. He gave his life a ransom for many. The great, majestic God was down on his knees serving his disciples. And we know that it was just a few hours later he was walking up that hill to Golgotha, bearing his cross to die for the sins of his people. The Bible says our example, it's not Paul, it's not an area church, the example is Christ. The example is Christ. Have this mind, the mind of Christ among yourselves. Jesus' blood has shown us how to be unified. He has taught us by his example. I've heard it said, when it comes to influencing people, example's not just the main thing, it's the only thing. And Jesus says, look no further than me. We have a God who doesn't just say, let me tell you how to do it. We have a God who says, let me show you how to do it. I'm going to live and display the life I am teaching before your very eyes. And what he's saying in this text is, his union with us should motivate us. His love for us should motivate us. His fellowship to the Holy Spirit should motivate us. His tenderness towards us should motivate us. And they should motivate us unto oneness, humility, and even helpfulness. You see, just as Christ loved us, we are to love other people. Blair read Psalm 133 a moment ago and in closing, we'll close with this. Blair read Psalm 133, which says how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. We see from Scripture how important unity is to God. Beloved, on this side of glory, you're never going to find a perfect church. You're never going to find it. That's why the Bible gives us a text like this today. And it says to us, when we think of these four motivations, should the divine influence of Christ in our lives compel us to persevere and to pursue the unity that is so precious to him? When we think about the three graces of oneness, humility, and helpfulness, don't they teach us to put our many differences aside on issues of preference? To look for the interests 
when we think about the two natures of Christ, aren't you amazed how far God came down to identify with us? And when you look at that one example, I'll be blown away of how God not only tells us what to do, he actually shows us what to do in the person of Christ. Beloved, Christ is our example. He is not asking us to do anything that he hasn't already done himself. We strove for unity, but only through humility. And never forget the fact that the sovereign God of this universe chose you not to lord it over us. He was bound by us with power. But he used humility, brokenness, service to bring about unity in his church. This is our Equip us.